Hi, listeners. This is Allison Case, Education and Advocacy Fellow with AMSA, here with a quick update on the King v. Burwell case. Since we released this episode, the Supreme Court upheld the Fourth Circuit Court ruling in a 6-3 decision, meaning that the Affordable Care Act's marketplace subsidies survive. Please continue to listen for background on the ACA, on the case itself, and what the future holds for health care reform. Today on AMSA AdLib, David Jones, assistant professor at Boston University's School of Public Health, gives us some background in anticipation of a major decision that affects the future of the Affordable Care Act in the King v. Burwell Supreme Court case. Dr. Jones earned his PhD at the University of Michigan School of Public Health with a specialization in political science. His research is on the politics of health reform, including how states determine what type of health insurance exchange to establish and the politics around Medicaid expansion. Dr. Jones spoke with AMSA's Education and Advocacy Fellow, Dr. Allison Case. Well, thanks so much for being with us today, David. Uh, so we're here to talk about the Supreme Court case, King v. Burwell. And before we get into kind of the analysis of the case, I was wondering if you could just give us a brief overview of the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, sure. So the Affordable Care Act is a huge piece of legislation. It's one of the most substantial pieces of health reform enacted in generations. It was something that presidents had been trying to accomplish since Teddy Teddy Roosevelt through FDR, Truman, even uh, Richard Nixon proposed a fairly liberal health reform plan in the 70s. And then, of course, Bill Clinton failed to do it in the 90s. Um, But... Something to know about the Affordable Care Act or the ACA or Obamacare, as it's called, and I use all three of those interchangeably, um, is that it's a fairly, I mean, I argue it's almost a conservative reform. It doesn't um, make huge wholesale changes to how our system operates. It just builds on our current system, creates new patches, new band-aids, new um, avenues for different people to access the system. Um, The name is the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, though the most important parts of the law, arguably, or kind of the core elements of the law, are about expanding health insurance coverage for people who didn't have insurance, Um, and primarily looking at helping people who are poor or relatively poor. And so the, one of the, the core parts of the law was expanding Medicaid. So the program, Medicare is a program for seniors, Medicaid is the program for poor people. Although historically to be eligible for Medicaid, you had to not just be poor, like you had to have low income and low level of assets, you had to be in a certain category. So if you were poor but didn't have children, then you probably didn't qualify for Medicaid in most states. Or if you were poor um, and had children, then you had to meet certain income levels. And so what the Medicaid expansion of the ACA does is it gets rid of these categories so that if you're poor, you get coverage, period. Um, The other major coverage expansion in the law is the creation of health insurance exchanges. And this was an idea, and this is kind of what King v. Burwell is all about, um, that allowed states to create a new entity called an exchange, which through which people would be able to purchase insurance. Um, and that's kind of a bipartisan compromise idea, um, and that's something that Democrats hoped 
Republicans would be excited about or at least be willing to support. Um, the differences are maybe from what some of the Republican ideas of an exchange had been are that um, there's a mandate that everybody has to buy insurance. So um, there's so everyone has to participate. Everyone has to have coverage or they'll face penalties from the IRS. Um, and everyone who is too poor to be able to buy insurance on their own uh, will receive a subsidy from the federal government that helps them make insurance more affordable. So you have this requirement that they purchase insurance, but then you also get subsidies to help them uh, pay for the insurance. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of other requirements and things that the law does, such as um, allowing children to stay on their parents' plan until age 26, or banning uh, practices by insurance companies that would exclude people because of pre-existing conditions, um, and then a whole host of other um, demonstration projects and delivery system reforms, like the creation of accountable care organizations, and a whole host of other things. Um, but really, what King v. Burwell is about it are the, uh, the health insurance exchanges and the subsidies that people receive. So that's that's a very brief two-minute overview of the ACA. Maybe you could give us an overview of the case, um, just kind of the players involved and uh, what's at stake. Sure. So the case is about health insurance exchanges and whether people should be allowed to receive government help to buy insurance. Um, so a health insurance exchange, in a nutshell, kind of in very simple terms, is like Travelocity or Priceline. Um, it's a website where you can go and you can shop and you can compare whether you want insurance A or insurance B. Um, it's, of course, in practical terms, much more complicated than that, um, where the comparisons are more complicated and there's different levels. Um, but one of the core parts of an exchange, one of the reasons it's so complicated, is because it's linked directly to the IRS and it's linked directly to uh, other federal agencies which verify your income and then if you are eligible, so if your income is between a certain level, um, technically between 100% and 400% of the federal poverty level, then you can receive tax credits. You can receive government help that would allow you to purchase insurance. And so 87% of the people who purchased insurance through an exchange have received some amount of these tax credits. The law itself says that the way you get tax credits is if you purchase insurance through an exchange that is, quote, established by the state. And so the case Kingsley Burwell is really about those four words. How literally should we take those four words established by the state? Can you receive the tax credits if you are purchasing insurance through an exchange that is run by the federal government? So 34 states chose not to do their own exchange. For political reasons, some policy reasons, they decided to let the federal government come in and run the exchange in their state. The IRS, when they were interpreting the ACA and setting up these exchanges, they took those four words in, in broader context and, and meant it, thought it to mean that everyone can receive tax credits, regardless of whether they're getting insurance through an exchange established by the state or an exchange that is run by the federal government in that state. Some opponents disagree, 
and they say that really the law says you have to be in an exchange established by the state. And so if you're getting tax credits in these 34 states that rejected an exchange, then it's not legal. And so they challenged the government on that, and the various levels of court have agreed or disagreed, and we've ended up with the Supreme Court now having to decide whether the Obama administration ironically followed its own law and how it implemented the ACA. Okay, so the idea is that if you are a person who has insurance in one of these states that has a federal um, exchange, then uh, if this, if, if uh, the plaintiff does win in this case, you could lose your credit, and because you lost your credit, you would likely lose your insurance as well? That's exactly right, yep. So if you live in New Hampshire, uh, which did not do an exchange, then turns out you shouldn't have been receiving any government help. Um, and so within a certain period of time after the ruling, you would stop receiving this tax credit, and then you would probably not be able to afford insurance anymore, and so you would drop and you would lose coverage. Exactly. Uh, so what what is at stake then if the court does rule in favor of the plaintiff? Uh, how will it affect the ACA in the future? Um, how will it affect just the everyday American? Yeah, great question. So um, this is a really tricky thing to talk about um, in soundbite. So I'm glad we have the space to talk about this um, in a podcast. Because when you read in the media, even people who know the story really well almost have to revert to this idea that all of Obamacare is at stake here. Um, and, I, and that's just, I think, not true. Um, this is a core part of the law and would affect a lot of people. Um, but the law, you know, unless Congress repeals it or a new president comes in and undoes substantial parts of it, the law is here and it's here to stay. And kind of regardless of what happens in this case, um, we'll continue to help people and benefit people. Um, the issue, though, what's at stake is there are people who live in 34 states who are currently receiving... This, these tax credits, these subsidies to purchase insurance. And so in these 34 states, um, I think 87% of the people who purchased insurance through the exchange have received these tax credits. So 87% is a huge percentage. Um, and it's something like 6.4 million people would find their health insurance jeopardized if the court rules in favor of King in this case. Um, and so so there's a lot at stake in that way. And so if that happens and these people lose coverage, um, then it, it triggers kind of downstream effects too, where anyone who does stay in the health insurance exchange would find that their premiums have gone up because the people who are likely to, to stay are the people who really need insurance. So therefore, they're probably likely to be older or sicker um, and not kind of the younger uh, people paying into the risk pool. Um, and so anyone who stays in the exchange is going to find that the premiums go up, the costs go up. Um, so that by the second year, some people who were purchasing are fine that they, they can't afford it anymore. And so they're going to drop out. And so the people who remain that round are going to be even sicker, even, even poorer, even older. Um, and there's going to be what often gets called the death spiral, where it just gets more expensive and the uh, risk pool gets kind of um, less and less diverse, diversified. Um, 
And so that's that's one of the major risks there. And so the estimates are that as many as um, eight or nine million people would lose insurance over the next 18 months or so if the, the court sides with the plaintiffs. And that premiums could go up. I mean, it really varies by state, but hundreds of percentage points in some cases. Um, it's kind of hard to predict exactly. So, I mean, I take every number you see with somewhat of a grain of salt. Um, but I think it's clear that premiums go up. And I saw an article today in Forbes written by someone who does not uh, support the ACA um, who said, you know, this would be an actuarial disaster for insurance companies. Okay. Um, so if, if that does happen and we do see... Uh, ruling in favor of the plaintiff. Is there anything that Congress or states could do to change those outcomes at all? That's, I think, going to be the first move. If the plaintiffs win the Supreme Court case, then the first thing that people will be looking to see is what Congress does. I expect they'll pass something and try to negotiate with uh, the Obama administration. And it's possible they might even be willing to compromise. Um, so that the piece of legislation they pass includes some things that Republicans can tell their constituents um, that they, they got repealed uh, and that the Democrats might be willing to let go of. Um, so one would be the medical device tax. There's a tax in the ACA that has the, uh, the taxes medical devices. And Democrats, I think, would be willing to part with that. Senator Warren from here in Massachusetts has been leading the charge even to repeal that. Um, and there are some, the employer mandate is another example of something that a lot of Democrats would frankly be just fine letting go of. Um, and it would allow, if they, if they agree to that, then it would allow Republicans to celebrate repealing a mandate. Um, so, you know, that, that could be a compromise we look at. Um, but even then, all that's really doing is giving states an extension, uh, most likely, of how long they get to decide whether or not they're going to do an exchange. Um, and so then the pressure would really shift to the states, where they would have to pass legislation or the governor would have to sign an executive order um, defining them as having a state-based exchange. It's going to be very. It's going to be a tall order for states. Certainly, they won't be able to do it in the first few months. Um, I think of the 34 states in question, only eight or so of them will have legislatures that are still even in session when the Supreme Court ruling comes out. So, I mean, a huge number of states wouldn't even be able to get it together to, to create legislation. Um, you know, barring some kind of extreme measures. Um, so, I think it's going to be a huge challenge for a lot of states. It's not insurmountable, um, and I think there will be paths that we can be looking towards, um, but I think it would be a major challenge. Um, all right. Well, so what about the opposite? What if the state wins? What um, Can we expect that this is that we're nearing the end of some of these uh, cases involving the ACA, or are there more things kind of in the pipeline? What what can we expect? But I think if the government wins the case, then the focus will shift in a few different directions. I think it'll shift, the politics will largely shift to 2016, um, as if they aren't kind of already, but I think a lot of Republicans will actually be very relieved even though they're complaining and they're, you know, say they're rooting for 
king to, to beat the Obama administration, I think they would actually be pretty relieved that they don't have to figure out how to come up with some kind of solution. Because uh, if they don't come up with a solution, then they're going to be blamed for maybe 9 million people losing insurance and everyone who keeps their insurance in the exchange is having their premium skyrocket. Um, and there's not really consensus on how to how Republicans should respond, right? Even their plans to fix the subsidies are plans to get rid of the subsidies kind of at the same time. So um, it would be it would be a big mess for Republicans if they win this case. Um, and so, but then the pressure would shift to 2016, where you could imagine that the contenders for the Republican primary will have to come out with proposals and take strong stands about how they're going to get rid of this part of Obamacare or they're going to give states increased flexibility. Um, and so this could end up being an important part of the Republican primary. Um, in terms of the exchanges themselves, um, the, the focus will shift back to where it probably should be in terms of just the operational challenge of running an exchange. Um, so quietly while all this is happening, there's in the background Rhode Island, Hawaii, Oregon, and a number of other states are really coming forward and saying, this is hard. This is harder than we expected. Um, and we're not making it. So maybe it doesn't make sense for us to do this at the state level. Maybe it makes more sense, really. Why reinvent the wheel? Maybe more makes more sense to share as many of the, the tasks of an exchange with the federal government as possible. Um, and so I expect that's where a lot of that conversation will shift to. Well, I know one thing that especially medical students, future healthcare professionals, and uh, residents and doctors are curious about is how this will affect their actual everyday practice. So we know from just talking with you now that this is really about the exchanges um, and uh, the, the state level exchanges, but what are your thoughts on how this might affect um, a physician in his or her everyday practice? Yeah, so it's kind of the same as if you, the answer to how it affects people. And for a lot of people in a lot of cases, there won't be any effect, especially if you're in one of the 16 states that did an exchange. Um, and it's it's hard to predict exactly how this is how this will play out for providers. Um, you can imagine that in the short term, if people get wind suddenly that their insurance is going to be um, canceled or they're no longer going to have government help, excuse me, there might be a real rush to, to get care quickly just in case they lose coverage uh, down the road. Um, so providers could see a real crunch all of a sudden in the short term. Um, but in the longer term, it uh, it's potentially a real missed opportunity, especially you think from hospitals or a provider point of view, um, similar to the Medicaid expansion where I think now 30 states have done the Medicaid expansion. And if you look at states that are doing it versus aren't doing it, um, Missouri is an example, Kansas City, Kansas versus Kansas City, Missouri. Um, hospitals are seeing that the amount of money they spend on care for people who don't have insurance is um, going down dramatically in the states that have expanded Medicaid, in the states that are, um, well, I guess, and, Every state is doing an exchange currently uh, through whether it's federal or state. So, uh, But if the government loses in King, 
then the dichotomy that we see with the Medicaid expansion, I think, would just be exacerbated. The disparities and so forth. Because um, right now, hospitals still treat everyone, more or less, right? Someone comes in the door and to the doctor's office or to the, or the hospital, especially to the ER, um, then the hospital provides the care. Turns out the person doesn't have insurance, um, but the hospital still paid you know, the people involved, the equipment involved, and the facilities, uh, enormously expensive, and just has to swallow those costs. And so it passes it on to everyone else in the system. Um, with the Medicaid expansion, they're finding that that happens much less. And so uh, if the states, if the government loses in King, it's going to be the same thing, where people who had insurance previously um, will now be uninsured. They'll still be showing up in the ER when they need care. Um, but instead of the hospitals receiving some payment for the, those services, uh, even if it's not as much payment as they would like, or it's not as much payment as if it were private insurance, um, they're still receiving something compared to receiving nothing if that person was insured. All right. So in this case, uh, how will the justices be making their decision? That is the million-dollar question, um, and we'll, we really don't know until we find out what they decided. But there's a few possibilities. Um, the first thing to understand about the Supreme Court, of course, is that it's pretty divided, that there are four justices who we're pretty sure are going to side with the Obama administration. That's Sotomayor, Kagan, Breyer, and Ginsburg. There are three justices we're pretty sure are going to side against the government, which are Alito and Thomas and Scalia. The question then really becomes what two people on the Supreme Court think of this case. It's Chief Justice John Roberts and then Anthony Kennedy. Um, and so during all our arguments in March, people were really closely watching to see what those two had to say. Um, and there's a few different ways this could go. One is for the court to simply say the government was right. You know, this is totally reasonable. Everyone gets subsidies. On the other hand, they could say pretty cleanly that the government's wrong. The plaintiffs are right. And, you know, we'll kind of let Congress and the states deal with the consequences. Um, but these subsidies are not allowed in these states that didn't establish an exchange. Got it. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today, David. We really appreciate it, and um, yeah, we'll be yeah, we'll be looking out for the decision. When when can we expect the decision to come down? Do you think that's the other million dollar question that you and every newsroom in the country would like to know? <laughs> um, so the court generally, I think, meets on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the days that they issue rulings, and so it's really down to any Monday or Thursday through the rest of their session. Their session ends June 29th, um, and so they tend to put the controversial decisions last, and so the expectation is June 29th, 10 a.m. is when it'll come out, but um, the court has been known to just add days at the end of their session, um, and so it's possible even that the decision doesn't come out until Thursday, July 2nd, um, but they could surprise us and release the ruling this Monday as well. Um, and of course, all of this is clouded by the fact that there's another huge case before the court about the constitutionality of gay marriage. So um, the joke I made about newsrooms, all the reporters I talked to are just desperately hoping that the 
cases are not released on the same day. Hmm. Yeah, that would be a pretty busy day. Yeah, a lot of newsrooms would blow up. Right. All right, well, we'll certainly be looking out for for that decision. So thanks a lot for talking with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much. AMSA AdLib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. This episode was edited by Pete Thompson with help from Rachel Glassford. The interview segment was produced by Allison Case with a very special thanks to Charlie Willison. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer. A decision in the King versus Burwell case is expected soon, even as early as the day of this episode's release. Regardless of the outcome, let us know your thoughts on the state of healthcare coverage in the United States. Email us at adlib at amsa.org or even record your story for us using your iPhone's Voice Memos app or an app like Easy Voice Recorder on Android. Email the recording to adlib at amsa.org. That's A-D-L-I-B at A-M-S-A dot O-R-G. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by... T- Sorry. <laughs> Just like started to go through like a uh, cool. teenage male puberty There's there. Like literally, <laughs> that way before. Wait, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>